friends. Welcome back. That's Chase. I, I didn't have to bribe him this time. I didn't have to torture him. He said, hey, I'll fill in for Hannah. And I said, okay. But last time he did it, when we got done, he was like, you should have let me read the information before we started. I didn't know anything. And I was like, but I'm the one that read it all. Yeah, Neat. it felt like uninformed commentary, but I am not only excited, but prepared this time. Well, um, I chose <laughs> for today's story, uh, it's a tiny tale. I chose Humpty Dumpty. Do you, would you have rather me have chose something else? Or are you, you okay with Humpty Dumpty? I love it. Love Humpty Dumpty. Big Humpty Dumpty guy. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get started. Uh, to quote, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Mm-hmm. The rhyme, it says nothing about an egg. It does not. So where does that come from? What did it originally mean? Why is he on a wall? And how in the world are horses going to put them together? They don't have hands. There nope. are a few theories, though. Okay. Let so the, the people know. The first version of this nursery rhyme, it appeared in Samuel Arnold's Juvenile Amusement. So it was published back in 1797. Mm-hmm. In that publication, the rhyme was actually posed as a riddle where readers were supposed to guess what Humpty Dumpty was. It went, and I quote, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. Four score men and four score more could not make Humpty Dumpty where he was before. Mm, Still didn't say anything about an egg. Yeah, not really sure how that relates, but okay. So this was not the first instance of the phrase Humpty Dumpty being used. So according to the Oxford English Dictionary, the term Humpty Dumpty was first used in the 17th century to describe a brandy that was boiled with ale. So you're going to make that for Friendsgiving. It's what we're currently drinking right now. It's not what I'm drinking. Interestingly, Francis Groses, or Groset's Classical Dictionary of the Vulgar Tongue from 1785, which is essentially Urban Dictionary pre-internet, uh-huh. defines Humpty Dumpty as a short, clumsy person of either sex. I could see that. Yeah. Oh, Humpty Dumpty. Another word, just for fun, if you wanted to include this into your uh, repertoire, is that how you say that? Mm-hmm is uh, one of my patients this week called his wife a nut burger. And I've just been saying that at all times now. You heard it here first. Yeah, I'm going to save that one for the future. The old nut burger. (laughs) That's what they used to call you in high school. Mm -hmm. Many times, nursery rhymes are linked to historical events. And in the case of Humpty Dumpty, these are the two most popular theories. Are they dark? Are they scary? Mm, They're a little dark. Mm -hmm. So first theory, Humpty Dumpty is linked to a canon shooting cannonballs, in Colchester, England, during the English Civil War of 1648. Supposedly, a man named Jack Thompson, he was stationed up on top of a wall with a cannon that he had nicknamed Humpty Dumpty. Thompson and the cannon managed to do a lot of damage to the advancing troops, despite the non-intimidating nickname. (laughs) However, the cannon was placed on a large wall, and during the battle, it did tumble to the ground where it could not be put back together again. Eventually, Colchester was forced to open its gates and surrender. Yeah, I don't, I don't see anyone naming a war weapon a Humpty Dumpty. Yeah, something like Valor or Xavier. Or right. It's like they just went with that was their main fault. There, you named it Humpty Dumpty. There's nowhere to go from there. Yeah, bad branding. Mm-hmm. 
So the second theory uh, it links Humpty Dumpty to King Richard III. His brutal reign, it ended in 1485 at the Battle of Bosworth. The king's horse was supposedly named Wall. You see where this is going? During the battle, he fell off his horse. And he was, quote, hacked to pieces on the mm, field. Hate to see it. Yep. He was also supposedly known as the Humpback King, which was further exaggerated in Shakespeare's Richard II when he referred to the king as the poisonous bump-backed toad. Oof. Sick burn. You got nut burger, you got bump poisonous bump-backed toad. Yeah, Humpty Dumpty. Mm-hmm. The 2012 discovery of Richard III's skeleton beneath a parking lot in Leicester led to an updated diagnosis of severe scoliosis. Mm. So the term was appropriate, which meant one shoulder might have been a little higher. The skeletal remains also showed evidence of 11 wounds, eight of which were to the skull. And I read where the to the skull specifically in the back of the head, there were just hack marks. They just went to town. Mm, it's like in zombie land. One of the rules is double tap, double tap. Yeah. They never do they it in scary like movies. Eight though. tap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anyway, yeah. over the years, references to Humpty Dumpty have turned up in all kinds of artistic interpretations. You're going to like both of these given mm-hmm. your background. Just <laughs> recently, <laughs> just recently, Taylor Swift, Wrote in her song. My girl. Yeah. That mm-hmm. new album, though. That new album. Yeah. Wrote in her song, Archer, all the king's horses and all the, all king's, the men king's men couldn't put couldn't me together put again because all my enemies started out friends. Help me hold on to you. I wonder if she she knows about Humpty Dumpty. Tag, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll tag her. Yep. She needs to know. The most famous literary appearance was in Alice in Wonderlands through the looking glass. You don't if you, ha- if you really like that movie, right? I hate it. It's my least favorite. No, it's my favorite. And if you haven't listened to our Alice in Wonderland episode, it's probably the most, it's, it's a two-parter. It had to be. It's the deepest, you know, it's go multi-layered. listen. multi-layered, mm-hmm. yeah. So that was published in 1872. In Carol's story, Humpty is portrayed as a snarky egghead who obsesses over and corrects Alice's grammar. It was quoted, when I use a word, Humpty Dumpty said to Alice in a rather scornful tone, it means just what I choose it to mean, neither more, neither less, which is where we will leave this first part of our story today. The mm-hmm. same could be applied to the Humpty Dumpty origin story. It can mean just what you choose it to mean, neither more nor less. Wow. So I imagine, uh, if we're following suit to previous episodes, we've got a, an evil egg coming up. Evil eggs, yes, lots of eggs. Okay. After the break. After the break, stick around. Welcome back. It's time for the part that's Lazy's part that's creepy and scary and somehow related to eggs. So I've said it before, I'll say it again. The government is watching my search, my Google search history. It's going to be a weird time because this week I typed in eggs and murder, um, Humpty Dumpty murder, mm. someone eating eggs and then falling off a wall. I, there's there's many ways this could have gone. I found two other stories. One was of this teenage boy who was 14 that egged somebody's car and she flew off the road and sadly died, but there wasn't a lot of information on that. And another one... Um, some people in Kentucky, this man got mad at the way his wife cooked his eggs, and he went on. He killed her. He killed the neighbors, 
also not a lot of information on that. It was kind of open and closed, but two thoughts. One, you were undoubtedly on a watch list of some sort. Right. With the government. Number two, if I ever wanted to frame you for murder, it would probably be pretty easy. Right. So with that said, well, okay. I hope you don't. Um, so today, what are we talking about? Uh, this is a little segment I like to call the Oregon State Hospital Mass Poisoning. We'll get to the egg part in a second. So, on November 18th, which is coming up. Hey, look at there. We're almost. Yeah. Uh, November 18th, 1942, 467 psychiatric patients at the Oregon State Hospital in Salem, Massachusetts. I can't say that word. <laughs> How do you say that? Well, your pronunciation is. Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Yeah. But I can't. Massachusetts. Hold on. Massachusetts. No. Massachusetts. That's it. Massachusetts. But no. I also like massive two shits. Okay. Massive two shits. Um, we're getting ready to eat scrambled eggs for dinner. The patients were getting to eat. Let me say it again. Scrambled eggs for dinner. Okay. That's Bre- where we're breakfast going. Breakfast for dinner is great. We love a breakfast for dinner moment. But before the end of the night, 47 people were dead. During this time, it's important to remember the U.S. had just entered World War II. That's another tongue twister. And because of the mass amount of manpower needed to go to war, most able-bodied people were drafted and sent overseas. So this included any unnecessary staff members at the hospital, which obviously left the hospital understaffed. So Oregon was actually ranked second to last in the nation among staff-to-patient ratios at state institutions in 1939. And due to the number of employees drafted, it averaged one staff member per 10 patients. For reference, do you know about what the normal ratio um, is? Th- it depends. And the COVID times messed everything up. They were getting like one day. But probably less than half that. Um, in the ICU, they're supposed to have two. They were getting like four. You know, that, you know, the governor ordered, said that they could see like more people in the ICU than they should be seeing. And they were all like, no, nah, thanks. Mm. Come live in my shoes for one day. Gotcha. But anyway. <clears throat> This also meant that there were only two people working in the kitchen to serve 2,700 people in the hospital. Two people. And I'm, and I'm stressed out about Friendsgiving, serving like six people. There was the chief cook, Mary O'Hare, and an assistant cook, Mickey McKillop. And because they were desperate, they used their most trusted patients to help out in the kitchen. On this fatal night in 1942, McKillop sent a patient by the name of George Noson on an errand. He needed Noson to go to the basement to retrieve powdered milk, which would be mixed into the scrambled eggs for dinner that night. So, a little on George Noson. He was 27, and he had originally been brought to the hospital because his parents wanted him evaluated for epilepsy. But, to their surprise, he got there, he stayed there a little while, and what do you know, the, di- the doctors diagnosed him with paranoid schizophrenia, and he was involuntary admitted. And the parents were confused, they had never noticed any signs of schizophrenia, or he, he was just your average guy, but mm-hmm. I, guess, I guess they wanted that money, so. Let's see where this is going. McKillop gave Nosen a key to the storage room in the basement which was his first mistake because giving keys to patients was a huge violation for obvious reasons. And in the basement, there were two storage rooms. The one on the left contained dry goods such as flour, sugar, and powdered milk, which were needed for the eggs. And the room on the right contained fruit, but also for unknown reasons, this is where they chose to store their roach poison. So it's a slippery slope. Um, the, the poison was kept in a giant galvanized steel trash can 
And as you might have guessed, Nosen mistakenly went into the room on the right and retrieved five to six pounds of roach poison to bring back to the kitchen. This had to be pre-FDA, OSHA, Joint Commission, everything. Yeah. Yeah. McKillop mixed what he thought was powdered milk into the eggs to make them more dense, and within a few minutes, the poison scrambled eggs were plated and ready to be served to the patients. Uh, Within a few minutes of the first mouthful of eggs, because it doesn't take long, the hospital went into complete chaos. Patients everywhere were writhing on the floor, throwing up blood, yelling out in pain. And in the end, nearly 400 patients were injured and 47 died in agony. Honestly, I'm surprised it's not more than 47 that actually died. So the tiny morgue at the hospital was not meant to hold that many people. So eventually they started piling up bodies in the chapel. A 29-year-old patient who had barely survived that night was quoted as saying, As soon as I had swallowed the first spoonfuls of my eggs, my face became numb. My teeth began to ache. Pretty soon my legs became paralyzed. They have been paralyzed most of the time since, and my face is still numb. Um, from what I understand, because of what S-Town, the podcast about Alabama and him right. poisoning himself, they described how... The lady that was on the phone with him, how his screams were just so terrible because when you kill yourself with poison or you get killed by poison, it's just like eating your insides alive. It's like one of the worst ways you can die. Would you rather be poisoned or burned to death or drown or... Well, if you're burned to death and only... I I could be wrong, but your nerve cells, um, after it burns off the first layer of skin, you don't have many nerve cells, so you wouldn't be able to fill anything. Mm. But I don't know. What was the other option? Burn. Uh, burn to death, drowning, poisoned, uh, eight strikes to the back of the skull, like Ooh. our friend Richard. I'm going to say eight strikes to the back of the skull because that just sounds... You're probably done after number yeah. two. Right. Yeah. Um, given the social climate at the time, again, World War II, they initially thought that this was a terrorist attack because the eggs used at the state hospital came from the government and they had received them in a shipment six months prior. Uh, the Nazis. Then, then damn Nazis. Uh, government Sprague immediately ordered all institutions to stop using the eggs, which came packed frozen in 30-pound tin cans. Nothing like a frozen poisoned egg in the morning at, at dinner. The federal government issued a similar order, and investigators from the Army, the American Medical Association, and the Food and Drug Administration... So they did exist. Mm-hmm. They just... They weren't that thorough, I guess. Um, They rushed to the state hospital campus in Salem, and within 22 hours into the investigation, it was discovered that the eggs were poisoned with sodium fluoride. And they realized that it had only been found in the cooked eggs, meaning, you know, the packaged eggs that they got from the government weren't poisoned. So, sodium conspiracy theory. mm -hmm. Sodium fluoride, uh, it's frequently used in insecticides and rat poison. And it is a quick-acting, unfortunately, white substance that might easily be mistaken for flour, baking powder, or powdered milk. Classic mix-up. Mm-hmm. Ingesting just a minuscule amount can be fatal. Uh, did you know that tiny amounts of sodium fluoride can be found in toothpaste to strengthen teeth? And that's interesting because a lot of the patients were complaining of how badly their teeth were aching. So it'll either make your teeth strong or... Make them so strong they ache. Uh, speaking of teeth, if you didn't listen to last week's episode on the tooth fairy, now's the time. A lethal dose of so- sodium fluoride is about the size of an aspirin tablet. So it doesn't take much. And I imagine 
Some of them were real hungry and just gobbled up those eggs. Uh, McKillop, O'Hare, and Nosen knew what had happened. They figured it out immediately after the inmates started dying. McKillop had Nosen show him the bin he'd gotten the powdered milk out of. And as he feared, Nosen led him straight to the fruit room, where they unfortunately also kept the rat poison. And because it's fast acting, there was mm-hmm. probably not like a counter agent that could... Yeah. Or if there was, they wouldn't have that during that time. So the three of them kept quiet about it for several days. They were terrified that they would get in trouble, but eventually McKillop couldn't stand it anymore and confessed. And he also claimed responsibility for the whole thing in an attempt to shield Mrs. O'Hare. So on November 23rd, five days after, after the deadly dinner was served, the two cooks were arrested McKillop was charged with involuntary manslaughter, and O'Hare was charged with accessory after the fact. However, there was a lengthy probe into the situation, and the charges against the two cooks were dropped. And Nosen was never charged, but would go on to live the rest of his life institutionalized, and he died in the hospital in the 1980s. Sad. You can't really charge somebody that had no awareness of the situation. I I mean, maybe charge them for covering something up or lying, but they... I'm, it was a, just a freak accident. So maybe don't store your roach poison near your fruit and vegetables. Or That's maybe a start. don't send your psychiatric patients to fetch ingredients Correct. for the entire <laughs> hospital. Of the 47 people who died, there were 13 cremated remains that have yet to be claimed at the hospital. They just didn't have anybody, which is really sad. There was one hero of the day, kind of trying to end this on a brighter note. Uh, Her name was Alice Wassell, and she was a nurse that was in charge of one of the five wards that was affected that day. And after taking one bite of the eggs, she noticed that they tasted horrible and ordered her patients not to eat them. None of the patients on her ward died that day, even though the one bite she took of the eggs almost killed her. I'm just reading this and thinking, why is she eating the patient's food? Also, you never want, I never look at my patient's food and think, "Mm, I need a bite of that. Also good callback to Alice in Wonderland. Mm Mm-hmm. On another good note, the tragedy did bring about reforms on food safety. Um, A poison label, who would have thought that, was introduced and eventually adopted by legislature. And it also contributed to major changes being made at the mental hospitals across the country, including increased staffing and funding. Which is ironic because this very same hospital to this day, to this year, has been under fire for some time now due to its poor conditions for both patients and staff. It actually got so bad that the National Guard was called in. Basically, during the COVID pandemic, they were having, they were just transferring patients, the most violent patients, to the COVID uh, units. And so, obviously, you can't, you, there's not a violent patient COVID unit and a non violent, sweet angel baby dementia unit. So, they were just mixing together. And um, what happened? There were lots of patient-on-patient violence. There was a lot of patient and staff violence. A lot of people, a lot of the staff were quitting, so they were highly understaffed. And they were bringing in these National Guards, these soldiers who, yeah, that's nice, but they have no medical experience. Uh, And then more specifically, psychiatric medical experience. So it was a time, I'm sure. Um, So far in 2021, patients have assaulted hospital employees 421 times through September 30th, which is an average of 47 times per month. And by the end of September 2021, patients had attacked other patients 385 times in 2021, averaging 43 incidents per month. And five of those resulted in severe injury. So, 
I said I was going to end us on a brighter note with the little nurse Alice, but then we talked about present day. So it's still a problem. Understaffed hospitals, it's a hard job. Sure. And some of the lower, some of the jobs are lower paying, and we just all say thank you to our um, healthcare providers. Yeah. And I'm not saying that about me. I'm saying the people, you know, the cleaning people, the food people. It takes it takes an army. It takes a village, as they say. Absolutely. Especially during these times. Yep. Well, that's Humpty Dumpty and a scrambled egg. Uh, catastrophe. I was trying to think of alliteration. A scrambled egg. Uh, come on, Chase. Yeah, an omelet omen. Oh, uh, wow. I'll be here all week. Okay. <laughs> uh, he might. You want to do some more episodes with me? I'd love to. All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed this tiny tale and stick around. We have some more guests coming. If you haven't yet, you can go to our Instagram and we have made a link tree where you can check out some clothes we made. They're quite comfy, if I do say so myself. So go check it out there and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You did it just like Hannah. Bye-bye. <laughs>